0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Webb. This week, I sit down with Aman Naimat, Senior Vice President of Technology at DemandBase and co-founder and CTO of Spiderbook. We talk about his project to build a knowledge graph of the entire business world using natural language processing and deep learning. We also talk about the role AI is playing in those companies today and what's going to drive adoption in the future. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for joining me today, Aman.
1: Exciting to be here.
0: So let's start with a bit about your background. You've started a number of successful companies and you have several patents. Can you talk a bit about your journey and what you're up to now?
1: So that's interesting. I wasn't expecting that question, but I started my career building sales software since I was 19 years old, which is sort of ironic for a kid to do, to build enterprise sales software, but that's how it sort of ended up. And really, I was quite always frustrated at how dumb sales software was when, you know, I started building these things. It just forms and extremely human centric and doesn't really actually do anything for you. Whereas I saw people, you know, salespeople extremely have strong intuition and have, you know, knowledge about industry or companies they're selling to. And, you know, that's sort of how I started. And, you know, um, somehow I ended up in, you know, studying AI and natural language processing at Stanford, which is completely orthogonal to, sales software and enterprise software at that time. In fact, there were only like 12 people who cared about natural language processing, the small classes. Um, I had a lot of interactions with John McCarthy, who was the the person who coined the word artificial intelligence. So it was interesting that we would talk about it. And, you know, it was the time of the AI winter. So nobody actually cared about artificial intelligence. And it was sort of shunned off to the dungeons of the computer science departments. And we would talk about data representation and what the future would be and, you know, and what we can do to make people more effective mm-hmm. and how to represent data. So that, that's sort of my background and motivation. And sort of my, uh, the course of my journey was around 2012, I realized that all that theory and all that, you know, work we had done in academia can actually be applied to practice, particularly in sales and marketing, which had huge benefits to reap out of AI and big data in general. So. That's why I converged, you know, my um, academic background with my commercial experience. Mm-hmm.
0: And you've done a study of over a half a million companies to look at the current AI adoption in business. Right. So, first, how did you approach this study? What was your framework, and what kinds of data were you were you
1: gathering? Right. So, you know, we. We were studying businesses for the purpose of helping salespeople attack, uh, you know, or prosecute an account or talk to an account. And we realized that we could use our technology to study entire markets. So we decided, you know, and, you know, O'Reilly was super interested in this, to study entire markets of how people are adopting or companies are adopting AI or big data. And really, the way it works is for the first time, we've built a knowledge graph of how businesses interact with each other the behavioral signals who's doing business with whom who are their partners, customers, suppliers who are you know the influencers, the decision makers who's buying what product So in essence we have sort of for the first time built a universal database if I, if I may or a knowledge graph of the entire business world and the way we do it we, we use natural language processing and deep learning um, and we the short answer for how we what data sets we look at is everything we we are now reading the entire business internet you know completely unstructured data from sec filings financial regula- regulatory filings to tweets to every blog post every job post um every conference visit every powerpoint every video uh, so it's really pretty comprehensive and then we also have a lot of proprietary data on around the business world as to who's reading or viewing what ad and we triangulate all of that in this graph and do machine learning on top to Um, classify maturity levels of each company out of the 500,000 into how mature they are in AI. You know, how many people do they have working? What are they doing with it? What are the use cases? How much money are they spending? And that's how we sort of sort of uh, build the study.
0: So what did you find? What role is AI playing in enterprise today?
1: So we found after looking at, you know, the entire business internet terabytes, hundreds of terabytes of data across these 500,000 largest companies. So personally, the results were quite disappointing. And it was not because AI is not playing a role. It's playing a huge role. There's a huge demand, uh, but it's extremely concentrated in a very few verticals in a very few use cases. Uh, and that, that's what was sort of disappointing to me. We have, you know, AI leaders talking in keynote saying, oh my God, it's going to, you know, There'll be robots talking to um, elderly people, giving them company, and all of these use cases. You know, but in reality, the use cases for AI are limited to the what you would expect—the usual suspects: fraud detection, security, intelligence, government security, advertising, marketing, and you know, lead scoring. The usual suspects. Small number of commercial use cases that have been proven to. Uh, where there have been early incumbents, and now newer companies are starting, but still in the same area. So it's been a lot of incremental work. And the other set of uh, issue that I see in the market, not necessarily for AI, or perhaps for AI as well, is the talent and the investment is happening in a very few companies. So 10, 20, 30 companies have majority of the investments going on, right? And while the rest of the market is hungry, they're hiring it, they want to hire a ton of people. There, there really isn't that much talent available and enough framework to actually have, you know, non-AI specialists work with it, right? To really make a a difference. So we found that there's a high concentration of investment in a few companies in tech alone, like Facebook, Google, Samsung, IBM, uh, Microsoft, the usual suspects. And then. The use cases they're working on are extremely limited to what they care about, you know, which is incremental improvement of their existing products. Obviously, there's some new stuff coming out, particularly from Amazon, you know, Alexa, as well as uh, autonomous cars is obviously the very new use case, extremely exciting. But other than that, it was sort of like, okay, we expected what we have heard, and it's just uh, a lot more of the same.
0: Mm. And so what do you think will drive adoption in the
1: future? So coming out of that disappointment, this study was in collaboration with some folks from McKinsey. So we said, okay, well, if the world is here, we don't need yet another data scientist to jump into the fray, building more ad optimization software. You know, half of probably data scientists at Facebook are working on it, right? Mm -hmm. So we thought, why don't we build a framework to evaluate future use cases for artificial intelligence? And not necessarily what's possible today, but what will be possible 5, 10, 20 years from today, right? And we decided that really, instead of looking at technology, we should look at the benefits or outcomes. Mm -hmm. So what will benefit society the most from artificial intelligence? Um, So we came up with a framework to evaluate, you know, um, return of investment benefit or reduction in waste in society and really build a set of use cases that we're presenting today on what will maximize Um, you know, benefits to society or minimize waste in society. And really what's going to drive adoption, I think, is um, a awareness of these problems. Because it just turns out, ironically, I'm a data scientist, that we tend to gravitate towards already published problems and already published results, obviously, so we can improve upon it. But it tends to be that we've ended up at the journey started at a random point of time and we've, eva- we've come to just incrementally improving that, right? In, like image recognition, right? Like, or ad optimization or lead scoring, you know, or fraud detection. So the idea is to then motivate a new set of use cases and then perhaps even develop technology when it, where it's missing or lacking. What will drive adoption in AI, I, I think, is also investment. Mm -hmm. The current landscape, uh, according to our study, which was the first data-driven study of the market, was that only a few companies are really investing in it. You know, there's some interest in other places, uh, but, you know, companies like Google are really, you know, the CEO recently came out and said that AI is really how the company will be framed going forward. Um, So we need more investments, more venture capital investments, uh, more government investments. And that's not just in, like, starting startups but putting together data sets uh, that you know data scientists could consume public data sets is, is a huge gap in the market between what is available in academia and what companies like us at demand base have we have a ton of data proprietary data so to be able to have such data available in open source if I may that could sort of s- spark uh, new types of use cases mm-hmm.
0: And so looking out over the next 10 or 15 years, how do you see the use cases of AI evolving?
1: So, you know, again, like I said, we looked at the maximized benefit to society Mm -hmm. rather than what is buildable today. And we found there were some interesting use cases, some that we know of, like, you know, one of the biggest drivers, I think, in the future is not just human activity, but also uh, device or physical activity. So I- IOT or data generated from, um, IOT devices will probably fuel a lot of these new use cases around monitoring, you know, monitoring uh, patients, monitoring homes, video crime monitoring. And that's an area which has huge market, very few. A research and almost no investment in their area. Obviously, it's a highly regulated industry, health care, but it's a huge benefit to society, mm-hmm. um, especially with aging population. To be able to do this remotely, um, obviously huge benefits to people as well. Um, the other use cases we saw that were non-IoT related where or where we saw the biggest bang for the buck is um, law. Legal contract negotiations, right? A, a extremely sort of old school industry, ton of content. So part of our evaluation, we looked at where there's data, because without data, we can't build, you know, any kind of AI, really. Uh, so wherever there's data, we can build AI, and certainly in legal, there's a lot of public data. There's a lot of contract databases. Stanford has a huge group uh, putting together. These sort of databases, very few interests. There have been few com- couple of companies in the space, but really, it's just greenfield. Another use case, uh, you know, the largest set of spend in in the world is actually the United States government, four trillion dollars. It's a huge market. So, how do you allocate those resources? Um, you know, is it possible that we can build systems that, in essence, become some sort of a AI based representative democracy where you know, we can optimize the preferences of individual citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, today, most citizens are completely unaware of what's happening at their local government level or state level. Like if I ask you who's your state senator, you probably don't know. Nobody actually does. Yet, the state level um, pretty much—you know—they have the biggest impact to our lives. They control education, roads, you know, environment, and you know, and they have some of the largest budgets, um, healthcare. So, you know, there's certainly areas where we can, you know, try to understand individual preferences automatically. And there's a lot of data. For each bill that is passed, there are thousands and thousands of pages of feedback, text that AI can process and understand. So obviously, some of this is really far out, but that doesn't mean we can't do something today.
0: Right. And so what do you think is lacking in the AI conversation today?
1: I I think what is lacking is, you know, Certainly, the ability to outline some of the future problems and identify opportunities and go after them. You know, we're, there's also, while there has been a lot of investment in AI infrastructure, so big data, we are at Strata do. there have been massive investments in big data infrastructure. There's been massive investments in uh, collecting the data, but certainly um, identifying use cases that are going to be fruitful to society not just businesses and investing into them there has been no or very little government investment or certainly the startup community doesn't know how to get that investment besides security intelligence which is great but like not all benefits to society is security or monitoring people so healthcare is a huge area Um, lack of open data sets it would really be helpful because we realized or I realized as a data scientist is you can use pretty naive algorithms. As long as you have the best data, it doesn't matter. If you have a ton of data, we process two, three billion page views a month, we can obviously predict how the web will behave in the B2B world. So the ability to have that data and content, you know, that large companies like Facebook and Google and people like us have is, you know, or even portions of it, it would be extremely beneficial to the larger community and perhaps in academia. Mm-hmm.
0: And so kind of shifting more generally, when you research for your personal interests, what kinds of things do you look at? And what sorts of interesting reports or studies would you point people to?
1: That's that's an inter- interesting question. So I, I started You know, working in natural language processing pretty early, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. In two thousand twelve, in a more large-scale commercial sense, what's really interesting is that all the papers we find in academia in the simplest of AI problems, you know, like the most simplest being, or at least uh, simple superficially, is named entity recognition, which is the ability to recognize a name. This is a company. This is a person. And in academia. Uh, people have said this is a solved problem because it has reached ninety percent accuracy. But it turns out that in the real world with the data of blogs and tweets and that in reality all the work we have done in academia in a problem we consider solved is actually only at forty, fifty percent F score mm-hmm. or very low accuracy. And because there we're processing Reuters, you know, that's where the tests are and academic data is on. Whereas we're processing, you know, my tweet or Donald Trump's tweet, right? So it's uh, it's only I think you know when I when I look at any problem so these days I'm looking at content recommendation system or the ability to personalize or, or generate content automatically, uh, natural language generation. I do look at academia, so I just go to Google Scholar. I type in the word, you know, it ranks really well, which is always my go-to place is Google Scholar. And then I skim it, and then I then I look at the numbers, and then I discount half of them and see what's useful. But only doing that. Uh, some of the other things. So I studied under uh, Professor Manning, who's a leading uh, natural language processing scientist at Stanford, and one of the things he always used to say in the early days when I was learning this is just look at the data don't look at the papers don't look at research just get the data and look at examples like literally look at data and read it you know or the raw data you have and then start from there mm-hmm. so I always try to tell you know my group of data scientists is like go look at the data first scan the latest academic or, or commercial work and then you know dig deeper into the problem because it turns out any application of AI in the real world is unique. It's also much more complicated. It's a lot more dirty. Uh, There's a lot more dirty data in the real world. Uh, You know, any database is filled with duplicates and junk and stale data. So whereas academic work is generally over more pristine, smaller data sets.
0: Right. And so to close our conversation today, what and or who are you finding inspiring?
1: Yeah. So I'm obviously extremely passionate about artificial intelligence and using that to benefit society um, and people and uh, be it salespeople. But still, I think that's super exciting. But really, um, there, I guess in this area, I, I'm obviously very inspired by John McCarthy, who is the founder, uh, one of the founders of artificial intelligence. Ironically, he died in 2011 which is really the time when this whole thing came, took off, um, you know. And second to him, I'm obviously extremely uh, impressed and, you know, uh, motivated by Elon Musk for the obvious reasons. I'm not as sort of... Um, Pessimistic about you know the adoption of AI, he believes in the singularity it'll take over the world, and I think it's it's fascinating. But I think there's tons of stuff we can do uh, to benefit society and businesses before we reach singularity. So obviously, you know his ability to go into incumbent industries. Like, you know, when I talk about government, you know, a lot of people or, or ability for in- individuals to have AI representatives in government rather than people. People think it's crazy, but, you know, it's the, he's the kind of guy who goes after, like, totally incumbent industries and, you know, unionized and everything and be successful at it. So I find it extremely motivating to sort of listen to him and uh, study his approach to problems and solutions.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking with me today on This has been fun. Thank you. You can reach us on Twitter. I'm at Jen Webb and Aman is at Amon underscore Nymot. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode.